0: Hello, and welcome to episode three of season three of Relay Essay, a connected conversation about student affairs in Canada. The whole idea behind Relay Essay is that every single person we interview gets to give us a name or two of folks that we should interview next, passing the baton along to new and interesting interviews each time. That's the relay part. The essay stands for student affairs, which is what we tend to talk about. Before we get to our third interview of our third season, I wanna remind you that our season finale will be an interview with the person joining the Relay Essay team as a co-host for season four. We're already starting to organize our interviews and we can't wait to tell you the name of our new co-host. It's all very exciting. So in episode two of season three, we interviewed Angie Clark, an interview I did in Ottawa during caucus with someone nominated by Jen Brown. Well, as fate would have it for episode three, that is the case once again. We're interviewing someone nominated by Jen Brown in Ottawa during caucus. The only difference is that for this interview, we're chatting with someone who works on the opposite end of Canada from Angie. For this interview, we sat down with the brilliant and hysterical Tracy Mason Ennis. We covered a lot of ground in our conversation, and I know you'll enjoy it. Let's get to it.
1: Adam it. what are you doing? Who will you talk to today?
0: It's yes And we're live. Yeah. Okay. First things first. What's your name?
1: <laughs> My name is Tracy Mason Ennis. Tracy
0: Mason Ennis. And where do you work? What do you do? Tell me everything.
1: Um, I am currently serving as the Director of Residence and Housing at Simon Fraser University.
0: And that's a relatively new-ish game, right? Yeah, three
1: years. Yeah. Coming up on three years, yeah. It went super fast. It felt like six months.
0: (laughs) And you, where were you before that?
1: I was at a place called the University of the Fraser Valley, um, formerly one of the uh, university colleges that turned university in British Columbia. So I was there for seven years. And located in Abbotsford. Abbotsford. Yes.
0: (laughs) And so did you have to move to take on
1: a new role? No. You're still able to... Yeah, kind of. (laughs) So... If director
0: of Residence, you
1: can be like, get yourself a room to stay over. I wish. <laughs> um, so I, I actually live further uh, east from Vancouver than Abbotsford. I live in a place called Chilliwack right now, in the news for very bad things, um, and so I I commute in, but I stay on the mountain during the week also. So okay. yeah, it's not too too bad. I think in Toronto terms, an hour is not that bad of a commute. For me, it's yeah a bit too much. So I just stay on the mountain when I can yeah (laughs) Um,
0: and before that I think I first got to know when you were at the University of Alberta Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. you were
1: there for quite a while right? yeah yeah
0: Yeah, yeah. and I was doing residence life stuff
1: yeah yeah so that was my first residence gig okay yeah so Alberta um, so I was there for nine years I started as a residence life coordinator working with people you may know like Jason Hunter and Marco Bell um, got to, you know, sort of in their shadow, you know, kind of mm-hmm. thing, learning about residence life, because I didn't come up through that, that world. Uh, I started in family housing, which was a good fit for me, being a counselor by trade, and, um, and Fre- the French residents. So at that point, I still had some French coming from out of Houston. <laughs> so, yeah, and then from there, it was an assistant director, residence life position. And, yeah, nine years later, I just thought I need something different.
0: A little bit further out.
1: Yeah, I kept going west. Yeah, yeah.
0: I guess we're kind of working backwards. So (laughs) (laughs)
1: before
0: Alberta, um, because you had done your your masters in counseling.
1: Yeah, that was in okay. Yeah, so going backwards, um, before Alberta, I was at Saint Francis Xavier in Antigonish, where I was a counselor. And so I so I was there for two years. So I did my masters of counseling at the University of Vermont. And funny story is that while I was there in Vermont doing Masters of Counseling, the sister program was this Masters of College Student Personnel, and that's where I met Jason Hunter. okay. And so we were there doing sister programs. I was off to be a Women's Center counselor, that was my goal in life, and then mm-hmm. he was going to be a university administrator, right? And I didn't even know about this that profession, so it was all new to me. Um, But while I was there, because I was an international student, I was really limited with where I could do my internships and practicums. Oh, wow. So I had to stay on campus. So I had to be in the university counseling center, and they just thought, well, you live in residence, because I was an international student living in residence. They are like, why don't you do all the first-year undergrad residence programs? Because I couldn't do anything off campus, right? So that's how I kind of learned a little bit about what residence life does as a counselor. Wow, yeah. what an interesting way in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I would say I'm from the outside, and I, for some people, you know, it's just a different way of going into this field, right? How do you think that that's
0: formed your outlook on your work?
1: I think you know, um, definitely, I have my uh, biases, I guess, or my worldview about what resident the role residences play in universities and colleges across Canada. I think um, I would. Although I've, I've adjusted to the world of ancillaries and the businesses and, you know, the, the whole profit and um, cost and all, you know, the business part of it, really undercore the whole reason why we do residence is, is to supplement the university experience and to help students adjust. And, you know, you see all the, 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 the good data that's starting to come out that we're finally able to share about the retention, the... the uh, ability to um, just help students especially our international students adjust so I think as a counselor <laughs> when people ask me if I use my counseling degree I every day every single day I mean if it's not with the students it's with staff mm-hmm. right so managing people like right now the departments 30 some odd people and so just listening and yeah it's part of the it's a good degree to get because you could use it for almost anything <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm so before Vermont, mm-hmm.
0: where did you do your undergrad?
1: Dalhousie University Dauhausen. in Halifax. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what did you study? I studied psychology and geology. Okay. <laughs> That's a fun combo. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, you know um, what did my father say? You're studying people with rocks in their heads, or something like that. Awesome. And he was trying to, you know. Yeah, I think, <laughs> yeah, I, I, th- I, think I I was still. I knew I wanted to go into people-helping worlds. Uh, You know, I had done a a lot of work with uh, Special Olympics, and the Women's Centre thing was kind of in my head, and, you know, those kinds of things. I knew I wanted to do that kind of work, but I also had this passion for the outdoors and for archaeology and forestry. My father's a forest engineer, so... I planted trees during university. I, You know, so I, I there was a part of me that was also really just wanted to be outside. And so these courses okay. allowed you to go to Peggy's Cove and hang out for the day and sketch rocks, you know.
0: Sounds amazing.
1: <laughs> rocks for ducks. Yeah.
0: <laughs> And are you using
1: that in your world? <laughs> uh, let me see. Well, when I was in Hawaii a couple of months ago, I started not not in my world of, no. Other than there's a lot of concrete right now in okay. SFU, so I'm kind of like, yeah, concrete. Um, so, yeah, no, it's that was more of a something I can use more in my personal life, I guess, and interests.
0: <laughs> um, and I guess continue to work backwards mm-hmm. so where did you grow up like what's your so what you um,
1: local I'm local to Bathurst New Brunswick which is just north of about five hours north of Halifax so I was born there um, and when so I mentioned my dad's a forest engineer he worked for the pulp and paper mill that was once there and we got transferred to Quebec when I was 10 years old to a place called Shawinigan, Grand Mare, okay. twin cities <laughs> twin towns and so, uh, when I was ten, at that point going into grade six, transferred over to an uh, English high school, um, based on religion at that point, and you okay. had to have a parent who was raised in an English school or went to English school to get into an English school. It was very complicated. Wow. My mom tries to describe it to me. I don't lots of language laws, right? So, both, both my brother and I, who's four years younger, were enrolled in an English school, and I had 15 people in my class. Um, Schoeningen had just lost a lot of the anglophones from some God. some industry changes and stuff, so the schools were amalgamating, you know, the Protestants and the Catholics. It was very, you know, looking back, probably would have been a really interesting time to study, but I was sort of like, ah, what am I doing? And the French I did know, my Acadian French didn't quite translate to Quebec, mm-hmm. and so I, I kind of struggled there. Um, so, yeah, I did. I graduated from Shawinigan High School, played basketball. I was a skater most of my young, young life, like in New Brunswick. And But by the time I hit grade 6, I grew to this height, and skating became a little bit more of a, a dream. And so basketball, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> falling further. <laughs> um, so basketball was big. Um, and so when I graduated, I actually wanted to stay close to my mom and dad. So and in an English, Sejap. You graduate in grade eleven or secondary five, so I made the decision to go to Marianopolis College, which is in Montreal. It's a private stage up, so you do have your publics where you don't pay mm-hmm. tuition, but then you can also pay a bit of tuition at the time to go to this this one Marianopolis. And uh, when I made that decision, I was getting ready to go. And my parents got transferred back to New Brunswick, and so I was 16 years old, living in Montreal, no residence because they just didn't have it. It wasn't like John Abbott or some of the you know like. And so I, I boarded with a, an elderly couple in Westmount um, who didn't really plan on having me around on the weekends. <laughs> so I was
0: kind of... This sounds kinda, like the premise wore, to, like, a French Canadian <laughs> movie. <laughs> <laughs> it was
1: like a like. <laughs> I pretty much disappeared on weekends I found other places to stay because they just re- weren't interested in having me around so it was a, it was a, an interesting Our time for me. <laughs> <gents. laughs> and huh. I wouldn't tell my parents what was going on I didn't want them to worry they were already freaking out right so yeah I lived in Montreal for. so that was just my first year I did that and my second year I found a roommate from high school and we moved into an apartment and Pretty young I know, you think about that In Montreal all the time Cheap, really, really cheap to rent And
0: And so looking back at that time What did did you learn
1: from that time? Probably a whole bunch Yeah, money, budget Because I had very little Um, Friends, networking, right? Because I kind of had to rely on Sort of a new family And so my friends that I made at Marianapolis Their families took me in Mm. Right? So I'd go visit them and they live in Chateauguay or these places that were kind of off island and they were commuters um, yeah some really good friendships and yeah <laughs> oh I loved I loved Montreal I tried to Mariannopolis attracted a lot of your lower Canada College high school like the real high achievers so me coming from Shawinigan High School I didn't have quite the GPA mm. Um and so I barely squeaked by. I passed all my courses, but I didn't get what I needed to go to McGill for psychology or anything like that. So that's why the decision was I'll just go back to the Maritimes and go, go to a big school, not <laughs> <Yes. laughs> Dalhousie, which is not that big when you look at it, but big to, oh. my, to my liking, yeah. And did you
0: play basketball at Dallas or
1: did no, you... No, basketball pretty much ended once I hit Sageup. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think for a lot of people, right, they get to university and Sageup didn't have the vars- or the um, intramural options. They had canoeing and winter camping, so I did that kind of stuff. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and that's... Quebec's where I got my downhill skiing love, too. So, you know, when I was living in Schwinnigan and moved to... So we did a lot of downhill skiing, which is good because when you move out west... The mountains are a lot bigger, but when you've been a skier in Quebec and you've carved through ice, you're okay out west. So you can handle anything. <laughs> anything. So that was cool. <laughs> yeah. And what was your
0: undergrad like? Were you super involved? Or
1: were you kind of keeping yeah. your profile? What was your, what <laughs> so was your journey? I, um, so I still had a core f- bunch of friends that were from Bathurst, right? So I, I, even though I was living in Quebec, I still had like my elementary school, I was still in touch because my parents had moved back. And so my summers from, uh, from to Asia, I spent working in northern New Brunswick. So I, I hung out with a lot of those, those people when I, when I went to Dow, uh, very few went to, Dow proper, but, you know, there Saint Santa Fax or at Acadia, and Dao was the party place, so they all would com- you know, come in for right. what, I don't know if you ever heard of Mardi Gras in Halifax back in the 90s, it was a big party, no longer exists <laughs> for probably good reason <laughs> but, you know, the town, the city would shut down, people would dress up like it was Halloween, it was Halloween-ish, but they called it Mardi Gras,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it was just a big schmaltz. so, um so I, I was very social in that sense. I enjoyed my time. I also got involved. I wasn't living in residence. I was a late applicator, I guess, applicant. And so I ended up not in the traditional halls. And, and remember, I was a year older, too, because mm-hmm. of Sejep. So I went into a place called Glengarry Place, which was sort of your sweet style. It was connected to down residence, but sweet style. And you've been living in an apartment on your own. Yeah, I know. So So it was a kind of a yeah. And so my roommates were placed with me, and and I thought I was just—it was funny because coming from Montreal and all that diversity, Mm -hmm. diversity in Halifax in the mid, late '80s, early '90s was someone living with someone from Newfoundland, Cape Breton. So so that was my diversity. That's it. That was a good. Uh, that was a good experience. You know, just <laughs> meeting people from the region. Um, but I got involved with the counseling center. So I, um, I remember seeing a poster looking for what they called career information assistance. and it was a, uh, you know, at the time, your all your your library for career assistance was in like this room, and these people, CIAs, <laughs> right. um, we, yeah, were trained to sort of meet with students and ask them what they were looking for and then you know show them around and um, just basically work for the career center so counseling and the career center were together and I would do things for them like we would do um, a lot of active listening training and that kind of stuff so I would do videos where I'm like role-playing the sad student and <laughs> really good experience and connected with one particular counselor Jeanette Hung Mm-hmm. And I think she's still at Dow. Oh, wow. Uh, she might be close to retirement. But, um, yeah, she had a huge impact on my life. And, uh, you know, welcomed me into the, her family, like those kinds of things. So it was, it was a good experience, yeah.
0: Um, so you from the east coast to the west coast and a few places in between yeah. so has that also informed like your outlook or what, do, what is that i feel like that's pretty unique
1: yeah absolutely i don't think i really i never really planned to be such a nomad um but to have experience in that many driver's license from that many different provinces Yeah. you know it, it's fascinating to me it, it it probably i think when you're a maritimer you can be a very strong canadian like you're very um, you're you're tuned, you're, you're, you're watching, you're, you're, you know what's going on. I think that's pretty typical of the culture there. But I think when you travel across Canada and you start to understand the differences, sure. And you also kind of go, why are we creating these barriers between provinces? And you see that less so now, but it still occurs where students trying to transfer between schools is so difficult. And right. how do they track that? BC is just, you know created a system within the last 10 years where called bc cat where students can see their, their credits transfer from school to school or, or find out at least if they move what's going to happen and it's interesting that you know we make that so difficult and i think in some ways we try and hang on to the student but that's not the reality of the student they, they need that flexibility sometimes
0: totally
1: yeah so. yeah so for me i think it's made me a stronger patriot um i you know uh it's fascinating how different we are institutionally, um, just in politics. You know, a BC liberal is not an Ontario liberal. Right, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. and, and, and understanding that.
0: It's been interesting to watch all the elections that have been taking place. In yeah. Like trying to decode and figure out what's what.
1: Yeah, it's pretty pretty fascinating. Hmm. And it's just how similar we are too, and it's, it's exciting to be here with a bunch of people from SFU who, who have never been to Ottawa and to to see how they're experiencing the capital, right? And then because that's that's such a cool experience for every Canadian, they should just come here and, and either experience Ottawa or especially experience Canada Day. Because I think it kind of puts the rest of them to shame. Right. <laughs> right. Oh gosh, yeah. I remember coming here once when I
0: was working at Queens for a Canada Day, and it was it was a lot. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, tell me about your gig at SFU. Tell oh. me about the shop there. Tell me
1: yeah, what you're doing. Uh emails. Emails. Um. Yeah, I sometimes
0: say I'm a professional. Email. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Emailer. Yeah. A little addicted, too, I think. Um, so, fabulous opportunity. I, I can't say enough about um, fit and the decision I made. I, it wasn't an easy one. I think I was ready to, to take on something a bit more needy and everything and I'm confident about what I could do but I've learned so much in the last three years um The residence program at SFU has gone through a lot of change and and I got to come in at a point where things really, really were looking up. The finances had been put into order and the university was in the midst of the housing master plans, the commitment that we were going to do something. And not just do something, but get on the same page and, and solidify why we do it. And so it was a great time to come in. Um, we used a consultant, Hanbury, who are here, about really putting it into words about what we're all about—the community, the the, the 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 students need these spaces, and we have right. to build these spaces. Um, but it was fascinating. I think my experience at U of A was very residence life focused. My experience at UFE, although 200 beds, I did every component of housing right. facilities and conference services and front desk and. Uh, assignments and accounts. So when I came to SFU, I understood all those components much better than when I was at the U of A. So some people go, oh your U of A experience must have really prepared you. I would argue that my small school, small college where you do everything (laughs) prepared me. Um, And so that's what it's like. So I have um, a team, a wonderful team um, of, of really dedicated folks uh, who focus on those different units that you find traditionally. We don't have dining, but we have summer conferences, guest accommodations, front desk, communications, you know, all the traditional stuff of housing. And, um, and SFU is a very friendly... Um, kind of still has small school qualities in the sense that there's a lot of celebrations on campus where the whole campus comes. Oh, and, nice. You know, tra- some traditions in that sense. Mm-hmm. Not not traditions like a St. Effects, like the the ring or anything like that, but more of the, the celebrations. You see a the lot of that. Yeah, oh, nice. and then innovative stuff that's really new, too. You see a lot of the stuff coming out of SFU uh, in regards to big data and... What students are doing, the research. And so that's kind of exciting too.
0: And I think, like, I keep hearing stuff out of SFU, the healthy campus stuff, and they're really doing great stuff. Absolutely.
1: Which totally fits into my world, right? So um, my degree at UVM was. Uh, community mental health counseling and so when I met with Martin Rose and and we were talking about this whole thing in the charter and all that stuff it just fits into everything so a lot of what I when I got to SFU with housing was to change some of the language that we were using towards students and to look at our policies and, Mm -hmm. and make sure that you know maybe the residence contract had to remain pretty you know boring and legalistic, which is fine, but the handbook didn't. The handbook could be friendlier, it could be more welcoming, it could be more in line with what the students need. Um, and, and then changing some of the way that we communicated to students, and also how we handled some of the, you know, when they would come to us and there was no opportunity to be, be heard about mm-hmm. their particular case, that we just don't go to a policy and go, no, we don't allow that, that we hear what's going on, and then so the staff all have that they're all empowered to make those calls, and to, to meet with the student and to find out the best solution. You know, within the you know some guidelines, but that there's not always a no. And right? not always like in like
0: page ten, item seven, yeah. subsection sixteen. Yeah. You know, to do that. So, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that sounds more like like a caring. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I think it's, uh, you know, I'd like to think that it has something to do with now that our occupancy is really high, but Vancouver had more to do with that. But I have heard students saying that, you know, they've come back, they've gone out, tried the off-campus thing, and it's awful because it's just not set up for students. And they weren't back in, and sadly, we just don't have enough rooms. We're really struggling right now, trying to Give the experience as much as possible to our first years and our first timers, and but then our returners want to stay, which is not a bad thing, but Mm. it's hard. Yeah. Is there
0: any growth in the master plan? Yes.
1: Yes. So doubling. Whoa. Yeah. Well, (laughs) double 1,500. It's not still not a lot. I think that was probably the most fascinating thing coming in too, when the when the demand studies were coming back. You could double. SFU. The folks that were there were shocked. They had never. They never thought that they would ever be in this position. There was a real struggle to fill for a long, long time. And they really didn't believe the data almost. There was sort of like a no way. But then all of a sudden our wait lists. And and this is the other piece too is when you, um, part of my role and people that are working with me is really using our our tools to to create the data, to have the data. And so we were starting to be able to demonstrate that we had all this demand just by using Star Res better kind of thing, right? right? And um and so that was yeah, I mean definitely two we are in the midst of uh designing, building uh two new buildings, about five hundred students for 2020. Okay. And people would think that's pretty slow and that's because it's the city of Burnaby. <laughs> you know, in downtown we uh, had a building that was started off as a developer who wanted to run it, but SFU said no, nope, we're gonna own it. And so that was a 68-bed grad residence. And it was under construction when Caucus was in Vancouver, and that came online a year ago. Okay. And so that was pretty quick. So Vancouver, you can build, like, quickly. Burnaby's a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting to learn these kinds of things. Yeah. I mean And then I don't know what Surrey's like. Surrey, um, there's, there's a want to have more housing. Uh, we just finished a demand study, but there's a lot going up there right now, so a bit want to see sort of what's going to be up there really mm-hmm. soon and then see if it's still worth pursuing your residence yeah.
0: um, what would you say is like your f- most enjoyable parts of your job and perhaps the parts you don't
1: enjoy as <laughs> yeah. much that's easy I um, <laughs> I love as much as it's difficult running around campus, attending meetings and connecting with people and talking about residence and promoting it and, and people, you know, understand, and connecting, the, bringing them in, right? Yeah. Um, finding ways to, to create these collaborations. I love that part. I love being with the students because um, I stay on the mountain. I'll go, have dine, the, I'll go into the dining hall, and that's where I have supper. And mostly it's the our community advisors that see me and come in, you know, so that helps the student connections. I wish I had more student connection um, built in, but I have to make some kind of effort to do that. The parts I hate, the ones, you know, um, just when people are unhappy, right, I mean obviously bed bugs, no one likes those. Oh. Um, no matter how hard you try, no one sees the your effort, right, it's like that. <laughs> um you know when you can tell there's been a, a, just a poor experience academically and housing's kind of like their focus and mm. it's kind of like I I can only help you with this I can't change the fact that your GPA is you know like yeah um, it's managing expectations mm-hmm. um, so I think we're doing a much better job at saying look, we this is what we can do in housing um, and then it's up to you to do to take this other step and that'll bring you more resources and supports right like, mm. yeah so. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um so before you we were talking about leveraging kind of data to inform a strategic plan. Maybe this is a bit of a subpar segue <laughs> to talk about your PhD research <laughs> and the data that you got there. Um but all the while you've been doing these amazing jobs and um completing your PhD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How's that? <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> I want I want everyone to f- understand that it is um it was a good experience. I can. I think I have never had childbirth, but I hear that it's awful when you're going through it, and then you look back and you can have wonderful thoughts about it. I think that's what that doctor is like. Um, it is, I think if I, everyone says this, if you knew what it would have taken, would you have done it? It was tough. I mean, there were tears shed. There was doubt. I mean, the imposter syndrome, the the resiliency that's needed. I think the work... For us is actually, I mean, especially when you can study something that you're passionate about, mm-hmm. is so doable. You just need the resiliency to to maneuver the the politics, sure. the structure, the you know all of the different things. So the selection of the program and and the institution is really important to make sure that it fits your. It's a fit thing, like fits your lifestyle, fits what you can contribute. Um, I purposely. Chose a topic that wasn't related specifically to housing, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> mostly because I thought, okay, I need a topic where is generalizable. I, I, you know, I may be in housing for the rest of my career, but maybe not. Sure. And um, and I'm all about the student and the student experience and student leadership has always been, because in between my counseling degree and my doctorate, I did a master's of leadership at Roll Road. Oh. Royal Roads. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, that was a you know, a lot of people kind of look at Roll Roads and think, hmm, what would I get out of that? That was a really good, in between the academic type um, degrees, a really good practical degree. where For you talk, amazing things about... Oh, you, you learn such great active and practical skills. Um, and so uh, the, the leadership thing has always been really um, interesting to me. So I, I picked... Um, the Leadership Identity Development, and I use Susan Comanez's theory of social change. Um, and so I, you know, I, and then when I was at UFB, um, I was involved, and I got to know the folks that were creating the um, Supplemental Instruction Learning, the program there, and we call it SLG at UFB, sorry, <laughs> Supported Learning Groups at the University of the Fraser Valley. And so they had just been starting, so because the University of the Fraser Valley was kind of supporting me with time and all this stuff, sure. I thought it was really important that my research gave back to them. And so the case study, I can say it now, was on that program. And so it was um, great for them, great for me. I got to hang out with students that didn't live in RAS, but I got to see their experiences. And I think the probably the personally the most impactful part of that data collection, which wasn't so big in my dissertation, was the... Where UFE is located, and those students that I ended up working with, they're, they're strong faith. And it is a bit of a Bible belt, I guess, if you say like lots. Okay. Awesome. And so these students were very um, grounded in their faith. And so they were talking about things that I hadn't really... I knew our students had faith and need faith in order to cope, but it was so fascinating to hear students talk about how they prayed before they went into their SLG sessions and that they were you know using these this this part of themselves that was so important and at the same time institutions don't necessarily you know think about that or we don't and so that was a change the way I practice like I'm I, I think, I mean, personally, I don't pray, it's not a faith, but I, I think about our students and how, especially with all the mental health issues and the crises that we've been dealing with, I'm always asking the question where are they are with their faith and what resources do they have and are they connected with the community that's here and, you know, that kind of thing. Because mm-hmm. uh, that research was, yeah, that's the one thing that stuck out for me.
0: And faith as it relates to someone's leadership identity mm-hmm. is Absolutely. fascinating absolutely because it's dad. a different
1: relationship probably for each person right the
0: exactly. relationship to yeah oh yeah so you finished your dissertation mm-hmm. defended it
1: mm-hmm.
0: and partied so how did you celebrate <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> my um, uh, what did I do I remember just it's such a lonely experience it is such a lonely experience that's all I have to say unlike your masters or your bachelors right more of a cohort um, I uh, I remember when I defended Peggy Patterson, many of you may know, came out and just gave me a big hug and she said you did it and I was I cried, I mean you're six and a half years or five and a half years I don't even remember that's how bad it was, uh, no not bad, <laughs> but um, it was one of those things where. Uh, yeah I think per- I I was alone I was with Peggy for a little while it was nice because she helped me sort of debrief and you know gave me some some feedback and and it was just good to be with her for a little while and then um and then I went back to my hotel at the University of Calgary and I called to my family and it was it was fantastic and then we went back for the ceremonies because you know I defended uh in January and then we went back in May or June and made a camping trip out of it my parents flew out from new brunswick and nice. my father um my brother-in-law came in from edmonton because my husband's from edmonton so it's pretty close nice, <laughs> it's nice yeah
0: so two questions about that mm-hmm. how often do you whip out the doctor designation <laughs> <laughs> and if you go could go back and tell tracy who was just about to start the doctoral journey
1: mm-hmm. a piece of advice what would you tell her wow um, how often you know it's the most awkward thing. I've had this conversation with some friends I'm like, what do you do? Like it, colleagues in other areas of the university that's it becomes their it's their surname, it's part of their surname sure. and, um, and, and I think in student affairs we tend to not use it as much. Um, I, I don't have it in my signatory. I put my degree though. So there's little things like that, but it's so funny. I have a, one person who comes back, to SFU every summer, um, who is a faculty member, and he noticed my degree, and he was like, "Oh, now that you're a doctor, blah 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 blah," and it's just like, "Oh, it's so sad to see that kind of."
0: Like I can treat uh, you differently. Yeah. Or can I consider you in a different way because you've got
1: exactly, this, this three yeah. So it's kind of it's it's unfortunate. Um, uh, at the same time, people have said celebrate it. It's something that you should tag yourself with. Like oh, yeah. it's, you know, it's a, it's a so I'm, I'm, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't really come up with the rules for myself or anything like that. Can can be, it can be confusing if you're using it on an airline. Like, <laughs>
0: not
1: that kind of doctor. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I always say. My friends in Chilliwack laugh because they're, you know, they're kind of like, oh, she's a doctor, but you know, not that kind of doctor. But you know, yeah, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where, um, I, I, I'm just glad I did it. It was a great, you know, a good learning experience for myself. And then if I can help others go through it, I think that would be even better.
0: Oh, I think there's going to be a few phone calls in way. <laughs> And so would you, t- would you do anything differently, or would you advise yourself if you could go back in time? And-
1: I had no idea I was going to keep going. Um, I, well, I knew, I knew after my undergrad that I wanted to do my master's in counseling, and when I first applied, I didn't get into the counseling degrees in Canada. So I actually took another year at Dow where I worked as a research assistant. And my the faculty member that I was working with, Dr. Davidson, Katrina Davidson, she actually offered to take me under her wing in clinical psych. Mm-hmm. But I was like, that's not the kind of counseling I kind of want to do. Right. I want to do more of the um, humanistic, you know, a little more of the practical. And UVM offered that. Where I was taught by practitioners, right. and so I did couples counseling and group counseling and that kind of thing. So I think back to hmm, that might have been a neat path to have gone on. Um, so my, my advice, I think I just I in the end it's about being tough and resilient, and you and unlike your undergrad and your masters where everyone just kind of this is what you do next and this is what you have next and this is and you follow along like a lemming, <laughs> your ed your your doctorate is. Um, you have to drive the bus you're telling faculty members when you want things done when you need to and that's tough
0: and of course <laughs> if there's assignments like you're trying to decide what you want like it's more like you're not necessarily following the syllabus business anymore. no it's exactly like, I, I don't want to read or write anything that isn't going to support my my desk right so yeah
1: and you know i think the programs have changed a bit at least the add program at uh, Calgary has changed in that it was like that people were advised you know go in with a topic or and or everything you do in your coursework make sure it relates to your topic yeah. but I think you miss out on the other things that are in your courses
0: <laughs> I think you need to explore lots of options yeah. because that you might be surprised by some of the things that would inform your final
1: exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, keep it, it I if I advice for someone going in, have a good sense of what your topic might be. I think that would help move things along because you do spend a lot of time thinking about that and it has to be thought of carefully. Well, mine
0: is on leadership Identity development. So, I'm going to pick mm-hmm. up and have a, a red phone installed in your office. Just
1: <laughs> like <laughs> there'll be a bad
0: signal. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, hey. oh, sorry. No, that's okay. I just I realize how much time... We don't have very much time left, okay. so I just want to make sure we get to some of the um, rapid-fire yeah, questions. Yeah, sure. Uh-oh. <laughs>
1: um,
0: so just go with your gut.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, are you a dog or a cat person? <laughs> <laughs> We're starting with the hard-hitting questions.
1: Yeah, though, so. I know. That's so funny. I'd say both. I grew up with dogs, but I have cats because of my lifestyle. Um,
0: who would play you in the movie of your life?
1: <laughs> Sandra Bullock. <laughs> Good choice. <gasps> She's kind of you know she, that's, that's perfect <laughs> um,
0: if you were to make a time capsule that if opened in 100 years would tell the story of what it's like to work in student affairs today mm. what kind of things would you put in that time capsule
1: <laughs> band-aids <laughs> earplugs <laughs>
0: <laughs> like full like practical <laughs> yeah exactly um, so what does student affairs in Canada need more of
1: Research and the writing, uh, telling our story. I think, you know, uh, there's so much going on. I think that, you know, we can be more purposeful in what we research, but I think there's a lot going on. And so, how do we bring that forward? How do we bring it up? How do we celebrate it and highlight it? Because um, all these programs are happening. Um, and, you know, I think, too, there's some great opportunities, with, like for some like caucus to work with um, uh, Congress or C C-S-S-H-E, yeah, yeah. And all the research that faculty are doing about students. You know, there's a, there's a huge there's piece. Stuff. Yeah, there's a huge piece there that we're not getting to see, um, you know, unless you go looking for it and then through the journal, that's one way of doing it. But I, I really think there could be more collaboration.
0: Oh, 100%. I go through the program every year, mm-hmm. and sometimes I reach out to some of those scholars because they're not always connected to the practitioners. So exactly. I found one person who wrote a really great paper about co curricular records. I was like did you know there's a national co-curricular network and they were like I had no idea I was wow. like send your paper I'll share it with yeah. them because they're the ones who will take it up take up your work and apply it
1: exactly mm. so I think we have to do a bit of that reach out right Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: so what does Canadian Student Affairs need less of
1: Hmm. less of I don't know yeah I'm not sure what we would do less with less of I think you know we are like sponges I, I, with everything that's been we've been hit with you know the past <laughs> year a couple years um, with changes and uh, we kind of have to adjust so maybe it's the ability to I, I'm not sure if we can um, without having some organizations can sort of head off some of these changes with a little mm-hmm. bit of um, advocacy or the or that kind of lobbying kind of, or um, I'm not sure how to describe it, but a bit more protection around our profession because we just, decisions are being made and we're just having to run around like chickens to figure it out. And I just wonder if we had a voice that could say, whoa, da-da-da-da, right? Right. That that would... um, So, you know, less, I guess, less stuff coming at us that we have no control of and and to create more opportunities to have a say. Mm. um, So that when decisions are made, like, you know, uh, changing a policy or even, you know, um, for us it's the Residential Tenancy Act and whether you're exempt or you're not, those kinds of things, we have to have a voice. And so this is where associations can really help. Awesome.
0: So the final question Mm -hmm. is always, you know, it's a relay. So Jen Brown from Munn (laughs) passed the torch all across the country over to you, which is awesome. Unreal. Um, So is there anyone who you think we should talk to next?
1: Yeah, I would suggest Marsha Guno from Simon Fraser University. And I'm not trying to be... you know Simon Fraser. It's one of those th- when you meet someone in your life that's so grounded, and I think there's a lot to learn from her. And I learn from her every day. She's the director of her Indigenous Student Center, okay. and she does a lot of work with caucus. And,
0: um, I feel like her name has come up before. Mm. I feel like I recognize. I recognize him. Yeah, okay. I feel like maybe Aaron Billcomb had suggested. Oh, her as well. maybe. Oh, so this is a double. <laughs> okay. Now, now awesome. it's
1: time. <laughs> yeah,
0: I need to get
1: on the phone. <laughs> if you want someone who's you'll never forget his laugh, it's Neil Bedell. Okay. <laughs> someone that I worked with at the U of A. Uh, you know, he was just a young whippersnipper. I read out of the student uh, government, came to the U of A, and I was like should be interesting the next few years with this guy <laughs> and then look at where he's come right right and a first generation like there's so many things that he's been able to accomplish so his story is, is pretty cool yeah and I think that's you know I, there's so many people I mean I'd love to say all the different people that I uh, um you know that I would recommend but just to keep you sane.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, those are great. Those are awesome. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, and thanks for yeah, your time. Yeah, no like for caucus and everything, so
1: it. Thanks for doing it. this. Oh, amazing. <laughs> Bye.
0: So there it is, another solid relay pass from Jennifer Brown. Thank you so much, Tracy, for an amazing interview. I had a great time and learned a ton. Folks may not know this, but I interviewed for Tracy back when I was starting out. It was for an entry-level residence life position. And while I did not get the gig, it's pretty awesome to think that 14 years later, we're friends and sitting down for a different kind of interview. Gotta love it. Thanks, Tracy. If you want to connect with Tracy, she's on the Twitter. Her handle is at Trey TreyMayInnes. T-R-A-Y-M-A-Y-I-N-N-E-S. And that's it. Episode three of season three. Thank you so much for listening. Special thanks to the wonderful Adrian Ross who made our very popular theme music, and John Horvatin, who did our design work. If you have any questions, concerns, or ideas, critiques, or even suggestions of folks we should interview, please let me know. You can connect with me on Twitter. My handle is at Adam Kuhn, A-D-A-M-K-U-H-N. Thank you so much for listening. Bye for now.